Welcome to the Green Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Robert. We got a great show today. All right, so today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It's not just going to be me talking today. I have my first guest on, and his name is Jason Highland from Sub 70 Golf. Rather than standing here and talking to you, I'm just going to hop right into it. All right, everybody. So today I am joined by Jason Highland from Sub 70 Golf. You can find him on Twitter at Golf Sub 70 and at Sub 70. Is that is that the correct handle for Sub 70? At Sub 70. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. That's correct. Perfect. Yep. So so when I was working at UST, um, Jason was one of our customers. So he worked with a guy. He wasn't one of my customers, but he worked with a guy who sits right next to me. Uh, Steve Wingate, who's a awesome dude, and uh, I would hear I would hear Jason call in and order some stuff that he would need from the uh, from the warehouse. Steve would get it taken care of. Kind of talked to Steve about Jason. He always said great things about Jason. So I figured once I left UST and wanted to start a podcast, um, Jason would be a good guy to have on. How are you doing today, Jason? I am good. Thank you so much for having me today. Looking forward to this. Of course, of course. So I just kind of want to start. You know, I don't want to ask that boring question that is, oh, tell us about your, your life and your history and things like that. But I do know that you started a website that I was a huge fan of, especially when I first got into golf, Diamond Tour Golf and Hurricane Golf. How did those get started? I know Diamond Tour started, you know, mid-90s. It's it, You were kind of an Internet pioneer when it came to getting on there early and getting golf on the on the Internet pretty quick. So how did those, like, kind of come to be and what was kind of the, the start of those and the inspiration, I guess. Yeah. So in, when I was in college in the mid nineties, I was working for, for SMT golf, which was a golf component company. And, and the internet was just starting to come on the scene per se. And I think I saw the first internet connection 93. So I lived with some uh, computer science uh, majors and guys who were going to be involved in that industry. And they said, you know, this is coming. Here's kind of what it's going to potentially do. So was kind of around it early and then had the experience of working in the golf business. And I figured I would start my own component company, which was really popular in the nineties and diamond tour still around today. So essentially when I graduated from college, uh, moved back to my parents' house in Hinkley, Illinois, got a little warehouse in the next town over in Waterman, Illinois, and then built a website and built a catalog and, and just started the process. And it was the classic golf component company. We'd sell, like UST shafts or, you know, wind grips or golf pride grips, then we would do our own heads and we would either build those clubs custom for people or we would just send people the parts. So it was kind of your classic golf component company, which is still around today. So, yeah, it just was, uh, you know, at the right place, kind of at the right time to see the technology come in. And then the love I had from golf, I figured, now well, you know what, I'm already broken. 22 years old what difference does it make let's give this thing a whirl and you know see what happens with it right kind of for sure no fear at that point right just like let's just jump into it and do it so that's kind of how it started where did you like where did you source those component heads because it was a the golf industry was pretty different back in like 95 when when companies weren't doing you know every year releasing new things where did you get those components because like if i were starting a you know, now that I've been in the industry a little bit, I, I kind of know some places where I could find some golf club heads. But back in the 90s, where were you finding those heads? Were they, I, I would assume they were coming out of China. Is that right? 
No, Taiwan at that point. Oh, okay. Everything okay. was the China was just starting to get online, and most of the components were made in Taiwan for the higher quality stuff. So, we were sourcing graphite shafts, heads, and that stuff from Taiwan at that period of time. China, a little bit more in the late '90s, is when that kind of started shifting. Usually, it was, um, you know, Taiwanese owners who then could, you know, save production costs by moving to China. But that was just just when China was starting. So at first, it was all from Taiwan. Interesting. You interesting. Change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and what was it like running an online business before a lot of people had the internet? I would imagine it was pretty difficult to, you know. Now we have so many computerized inventory managers, things like that. What was it like trying to do that without, you know, a lot of of that technology? You know, there was no QuickBooks really back in 95. <laughs> yeah, there was. You would use, so the order, you had QuickBooks. And then we still had catalogs, right? So the phone orders yep. would still come in. And then essentially, you know, there's no shopping cart or anything. The order would just get emailed to you. So then you'd see the customer's info, what they're ordering, and you had to literally, you know, look at, print the order out, and then enter it into QuickBooks. And that's how the orders went. So essentially it was like an email order that another human still had to, to put into the, to the system to process the order. So it was, I mean, it was really, really, you know, it was great, but it was kind of crude. It would just have the pictures <laughs> of the head, the specs. And then the poor guy or woman who was ordering the stuff had to actually like kind of almost fill out an order form yeah. and that would get emailed over. There was no shopping cart at first or anything like that. It was basically like an, almost like an online catalog, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, pretty basic. Yeah. So I remember... it wasn't the main part of the business. It was kind of just uh, an add-on to the catalog part, right? So this was just a, almost like an emerging segment that you would have to complement the catalog at that point in time. So it wasn't you know, just online, but you had that segment that you just slowly started building with it, essentially. It was a, it was a portion of it. But, yeah, it came through like an email, essentially. Interesting. Yeah, I remember I remember when I first got into golf. This is going to age one of us. Um, it was right around the time Golfsmith, Golfsmith was still doing components. And so that was really a cool thing when I first got into golf was I wanted – set of snake eye irons that I could build myself yeah. and learn how to do that. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, but no, I, I, I love components. I think components are pretty cool. You can, you can kind of do your own thing. It's, it's unfortunate sometimes that uh, major OEMs won't allow you to just buy components, but you know, it, it's kind of one of those things. So after you went from uh, diamond tour, you went to hurricane, right? You started hurricane golf, which to me, always kind of felt like you guys bought a lot of stuff and threw it up there because you could get it at a good price, almost like like TJ Maxx or a Marshall, something like that, where yeah. you could still get quality stuff, but it was just cheaper because you guys bought last year's model. Is that kind of what the model of that was? Yeah, it's exactly what it was. You know, we might go buy a thousand pairs of Puma shoes or it, it could be anything, right? I mean, we might get a phone call and, and buy the whole lot up. So, it's exactly what it was. It was like an online version of TJ Maxx for golf, for soft goods, hard goods, uh, using air quotes, all the major brands you've heard of. And then we still had Diamond Tour, so then we added that segment to it. So then Hurricane started in 2008, uh, no catalog, all online, and we've used a lot of third-party channels as well, Walmart.com, uh, Amazon, eBay, you know, Jet, those sort of things to also get that out to the customer. So that was 
we could then stack that because we have the infrastructure in place from Diamond Tour. Then we can add right. the next company to it and use the same facilities. So there starts to get to be, you know, gets to be some efficiencies in that model. So, and we still run in that one as well. So that one started in 2008 uh, when the economy kind of, you know, got a little rough. We thought, okay, you know, people are always going to be looking for a deal. So let's try to get into that segment to kind of, you know, maybe look at that next, uh, you know, five years, which might be a little edgy in the economy of kind of having a nice niche. So, mm-hmm. which has turned out really well, you know, it's still going today and we're still, uh, still the same philosophy behind that company and still working well. So that's another one that we did. Yes. Yeah. As, as somebody who is that golfer who was always looking for a deal, I enjoyed many uh, Adams hybrid from hurricane, hurricane golf. You guys, when, when, Adam shut down. I remember you guys had a lot of their stuff. So when we bought like the last when Adams, I mean, I, I mean, we bought thousands and thousands of pieces of the Adams <laughs> stuff and Taylor made said, okay, we're done with it. I think, I think we won the final bid or something like that. I mean, it was, it was probably tens of thousands of pieces we had of that stuff. So yeah, that one lasted a while. It was a good deal, really good product. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love, I love the Adams stuff. I, I was, I, Especially for a guy who was still in college, things like that. Um, I, I loved it because I was able to get something new for forty bucks, and you guys would put a nice little shaft in it, and yeah. I could I could yeah. enjoy it. So that was it's pretty cool. It was it's a it's a great concept. So when you were doing that, were you working directly with the OEMs? Were they reaching out to yeah. you, or was it like a wholesaler? Nope, nope. You work with when it's buying at that level, you're you're dealing with the companies directly. In, gotcha. You know, not even kind of the local sales rep. You're kind of dealing with management internally, usually in California, where headquarters are at. When yeah. the, the size of the deals that we're buying, but yes, yeah, so that goes through directly through those major OEM companies. Correct. Interesting. Interesting. So um, from there, you know, you kind of ran that for a few years, and you went over to you started Sub Seventy, and Sub Seventy is a really for for my listeners who don't know. Um, Sub-70 is a direct-to-consumer, um, full looks like full-service golf. Any any golf equipment you want from putter to driver, you guys have on the uh, have on the website. So um, they can they can order those things and you guys ship them direct. So it's not something where you have to go to a store or anything like that. And is that a pretty good synopsis of Sub-70? Yeah, it's a, it's a premium OEM company, but we're just going direct to consumer. So we're trying to eliminate you know, steps in that so we can offer a custom, you know, everything we make is custom built, hand built in Sigmar, Illinois, just for that individual customer, just like out of the custom shops that uh, a lot of the companies will have. So nothing is pre-made. And then by not having distributors who market up another 40 or 50%, we can offer, you know, really premium quality stuff at a much better price in a more efficient manner by kind of using our assembly and hub and spoke system. So same ideas, you know, the major companies, but just having a direct relationship with the customers, which we think we can provide, you know, a more efficient model with that. Awesome. And what was kind of the inspiration for Sub-70? So obviously you wanted to do some high quality golf clubs, but what was kind of the inspiration behind the direct to consumer, the, um, the, the things like that? What, what inspired you to really start Sub-70? You had two good businesses going with Hurricane and Diamond Tour. What made you want to go next level into your own OEM? Well, it's always fun to design and work with really high-end stuff, right? Like it's 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 fun to design Aston Martins, right? So <laughs> right, right. it was always 
there where I was doing some consulting work for some smaller OEMs. So I had all the connections overseas and we were, you know, helping them with some real premium products. And it's a fun process where there's no box to kind of work in. You can just kind of do the coolest stuff you want and there's no box it has to be in. So that was appealing to me on the, on the thought process of, of how to do it. Right. But then the question is how to do it. And then it kind of hit me. I needed a new suit. And since we're like internet based, it's usually, you know, hoodie, Puma shoes, jeans, like, you know, it's pretty yep. casual. So I, mean, yep. I don't have to buy suits and I don't have to dress up very much. You know, you kind of wear the flat bill hat and go to work and no one really sees you. So I needed a suit. But I knew I wasn't going to, you know, wear it all that often, but, you know, wanted something that looks nice. And then I saw on CNBC, there was this company called Combatant Gentlemen. And they yep. apparently were selling a lot of button-down shirts to the traders at Goldman, the young traders. And these guys would order 40 or 50 shirts at a time so they didn't have to launder it. It was cheaper than to buy the shirt. <laughs> they liked the fit and the quality, and they would throw the shirt away. So I went and looked at their website, and I'm like, okay, I get exactly what this guy's doing. He used to work for one of the major companies in men's fashion, and he's out in a warehouse in California, and they're designing their own suits, and they're warehousing it, and they ship it to you. And then you have to take it to your local tailor, but it's it's – it made sense when you kind of look at the model of, you know, there has to be a huge amount of margin in a high-end designer suit, and they're taking that out of it, but still providing that level of quality of the material and fit. Mm-hmm. So ordered the suit, you know, went and got it tailored, and for like a third of the price of what a normal high-end suit would be, had my suit, and it looked great. The wife was happy with it. I liked the fit, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is how we do this. If I'm willing to do this for a suit, we can do this for golf clubs. So I kind of had the idea that it'd be fun to do it, but then how do I reach it, you know, reach people in a more efficient way and maybe a better, newer way? So the suit was sort of inspiration to, you know, get to where we're at with sub 70. And trust me, I totally get the wife likes the suit. So you're like, all right, well, I guess it works then. <laughs> yeah, the test, right? Like, you know, right. she didn't come and look at me shaking her head, going, "Oh my gosh, what have you done?" Right? Like, right. she was like, "It looks really nice," you know. So, it, and then the whole thing kind of came together, and I, you know, the packaging was cool, the website was well done. Like, it didn't make you feel like you were buying mm-hmm. an inferior product. It felt like yeah. you were getting a custom product at a much better price, which to me was appealing, and it was different, right? Like, not everybody had that brand of suit too, which was kind of cool. So. Right, right, yeah, I my current job. So having worked in the golf industry and then before that I worked in sports, I didn't have like a suit And my current job was like, you got to wear a suit every day. And I looked at my wife and I was like, um, I guess I need a suit. <laughs> so, so I had to go, I had to go kind of look for that. I should have gone, I should have looked at combat gentlemen. So they have, so you were kind of inspired by the fact that their stuff was really high end and, was able to be done at, like you said, a third of the price. And going through your product lineup and seeing them on social media, it seems you guys have some really good stuff. So can we kind of run through your lineup a little bit and just kind of talk about what you got? So it looks like you got, heck, I'm looking here under irons. You guys probably have 15 different iron sets that you can buy, whether it's combo, whether it's black, things like that. There's, we let the customers kind of pick what they want. There's not that many different heads, but you can kind of configure it how you want to. Okay. You kind of put those options out there. That's that's really cool. So the 699 is your hollow body iron. Is that right? That's correct, yep. 
and then you have nine pro as well. Yep. Both have the hollow body technology. Okay. And then you have the U as well, right? Which is kind of like a driving iron. Yeah. Well, and we even have those all the way up on the standard 699 U up to a seven iron. So that's the best part about having the relationships with the customers because we're direct to consumer. You know, we started off with just going up to the five iron. Then we made the six iron because they were asking for it. Then we went all the way up to the seven. So we kind of listen to the customers and add different products as we're, you know, kind of going through the process. So, yeah, we even have the a, a U all the way up to a seven now for that player that needs a little bit more loft and a little lower center of gravity and a little more forgiveness. So a little That's... outside the box, but we definitely had some guys asking for it. So we just went ahead and did it. So when it comes to the R&D on these, um, is that done in-house? Do you do you work with a company? Do you work with, yeah, like, your work. manufacturers? Because I know overseas yeah, the manufacturers have stuff. Correct. And then we work with real engineers. So we may come up with a concept of, you know, we need this segment. And I may have some ideas. And we hire an outside firm to help us design the products. And then we work with the factories with the outside portion to get the molds or if it's, you know, forging the pressing, that kind of stuff, and then bring it to market. So uh, we would use an outside firm to help us with the, with the R&D. We might come up with the idea, and I might come in at the end and sort of do the graphics or maybe work with a, a leading edge a little bit, like the fine-tuning, but you need real engineers <laughs> right. to help you make the products to get it right. So we just we hire that portion out our products it's our molds and then i might come in at the very end to sort of fine-tune it for lack of a better word to get exactly where we need it so on yeah. the front end and the back end okay so you kind of start it and then you end it and you let that's You're smarter people than i am do it yeah <laughs> right 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 i don't i don't need to be an engineer i just need to tell you if it looks good <laughs> yeah i need smarter people and you need real engineers who can do right. this sort of work at the right level to have it you know, I'm not a mechanical engineer, so. Right. But we can look at the, I kind of come in for the aesthetics. Like, it's, I'll come in, like, we need this segment, and then my job is to make it look good once it's engineered the right way, basically. Or if I, I might have yeah. an idea of, okay, this leading edge needs a little bit more rounded here or something, but it's fine-tuning. Mm-hmm. The guts of it, the technology is is done by a, a third-party firm that helps us, you know, with our products, and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. So, which... Which segment of clubs would you say is the hardest? Do you find that you have the hardest time uh, producing and, you know, kind of the design? I know you're not in the middle of it, but would you say you have a harder time coming up with unique irons, drivers, hybrids, fairway woods, putters, or wedges? Drivers are the most difficult because you're boxed in from the USGA rules. Okay. It's it's your the technology is really getting pushed to the limit. So to make it a better product or a different product, it's so small, so incremental that I wouldn't say it's impossible, but that's the most challenging. You know, it's so like our new driver. You know, what's the biggest difference? Uh, better aerodynamics that we'll, we'll have this new driver out the 849 in late spring this year. More use of carbon fiber, so we have more discretionary weight, lighter mm-hmm. chassis, so we can get better adjustments, you know, for the each golfer. There'll be more weight to play ball with, you know. But is it going to go 15, 10 yards farther than the previous generation? No, you right. know, it's a couple yards at the most, right? So it's very, very. Right. I mean, everybody's drivers like that anymore. There's no huge gains to be had. And if you kind of look at, you know, even that U.S. Uh, GA report, driving distance over the last 10 years for certain segments, there's some segments you know, have not had a huge increase 
you know, the faster you can swing, the more you can get out of this technology. So that's the, that's the toughest. You can get a little bit better, but there's no huge gains to be had. Um, it's just small. It's incremental, you know, but when we try to be honest with our customer base saying, you know, there is no magic bullet, you know, assuming you're fit, right. And it's the right length and right type of shaft right. and all the numbers are right. There's no magic bullet where it's going to go 20 yards further from the technology. It's just small, small increments that we're working in. That's the most challenging. Yeah, I find I find with drivers the most of the drivers performance wise are good um, that that come out year to year. But it, it the thing that can make or break a driver now is the sound of it. Um, I find that a lot of people you you get a lot of very loud, pingy kind of sounding drivers. So, um, so I totally get how drivers could be difficult like that. Um, I see here that you have a raw wedge, which I'm a huge fan of. Any thoughts of going raw iron? Yes. Uh, on our forged iron next year, the 639 CB and MB, and the uh, project we're working on with Tommy Armour III, the TA3 sub-70 forged irons will both be available in raw. Oh. Yep. So we're going to be doing two segments in a, in a raw iron as well as we're, you know, definitely heard from the customer base on that one, and, and they want to see it. And I love raw stuff myself. I play our raw wedges. So, yes, we are expanding that out. And I imagine any new forged iron we come out with in the future will always be available in the raw as well. It's getting more and more popular. You're speaking my language here, Dave. You're, you're, you're speaking, my, uh, speaking my language. <laughs> All right, yeah, so we – about that raw finish with a white ball on green grass just looks great. So yeah, it's 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 awesome. So, um, what was it like having your stuff done in the uh, most wanted testing for my golf spy? It had, I mean, it was a big moment, right? Because you know, here we are, you know, this startup company, and we knew we had good products, but you know, you don't want to brag your own stuff up, right? I mean. Of course, we wouldn't brought the stuff out. We didn't think it was as good as we can make it. But to have a third-party uh, company like my boss, I was so well-respected, um, you know, choose us to win a couple product categories. You know, that was a huge moment for us in the sense that it was like validation that, okay, these guys are doing it a little bit of a different way, mm-hmm. but we're telling you the products are good. It's not just hype. So, Huge moment, right? That was one of our, if you kind of look back, we're not even two years old yet, but, you know, Calcavecchia playing our woods on the Champions Tour, you know, we're not paying them to play it. We post stuff on social media was enormous. And then winning that, um, my golf spy for a couple products in the first year was enormous. We're just kind of putting us on the map that it's a legitimate company, trustworthy company. These guys are doing good work. It just helped. It helped solidify the start of the company and kind of what we're about. And so I kind of want to talk about how you guys market. Um, you know, we don't see commercials and we don't see um, advertising in the traditional sense in Golf Digest or things like that, really. We see – I see you guys on Twitter a lot. Um, anytime somebody gets a club, they want to share it with everybody. And everyone is shocked for some reason how good y'all stuff is. What is – what was the motivator behind going strictly social media, it seems? Just with the oh – gosh, how do you we, – we felt it was the most efficient way to reach people and the most honest way, where we hopefully would have the back and forth with the customers. 
and then they would be our biggest advocates, mm-hmm. right? That they would kind of be saying, here's how the clubs are performing. So I think at some level, because we're a, a newer company, a different way of doing it, going the traditional way of marketing just didn't make sense because we're kind of not a traditional company, you know, which just, it felt more authentic to do it the way we're doing. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to be kind of quiet about it. You know, we, 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 we always think to ourselves understated elegance. We're not going to be, you're not going to see a commercial with me, you know, screaming or yelling, um, you know, uh, about, you know, 30 more yards or whatever it might be. Like, it's not in our DNA, right? right so we'd rather right. be a subtle, more quiet, more like, um, you know, some of the watch companies that might be out there that recognize the brand, you know, not, it, 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 it's different than like a Rolex, right? More like AP or Ulysse Nardin or something to that extent where it's, mm-hmm. it's more boutique-ish and niche by design. And it's more how Jay and I kind of are. You know, we're not like kind of in-your-face guys, so... For it to be more quiet, more subtle, let the clubs speak for themselves is sort of the you know way we want to do it. And social media has been a great way for that to kind of uh, kind of happen, for lack of a better word, right? It, it, it's not like we have to push it. We're not trying to push mm-hmm. anything on anybody. It just it's sort of just there, and we're here to support the clients and do the best for them, and just let that thing kind of that circle keep getting bigger. I I think. Another big thing that you guys do really well that I've seen on social media is y'all's customer service. Um, you guys seem to put a big emphasis on customer service, and and you as the CEO are reaching out to people um, on a daily basis. What are some of the – why did you go so heavy on customer service? I mean, obviously it makes sense you want to take care of your customer, but it is rare for a CEO to be reaching out to – to the customers direct. Why, why, why did you go there and why are you the one doing the reaching out? It's fun. I could, you could talk <laughs> golf all day. Right. So <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, like I like talking to people. I like people in general. So it's easy for me to do. I find it enjoyable. It gives me a great feedback loop too of okay. what are they seeing? How are they playing with it? What do we need? You know, what aren't we doing well? What are we doing well? So I like that portion of it. And it's just kind of, it wasn't a game plan. It just sort of, you know, naturally happened. You know, at first, you know, we had one customer, you know, so I called mm-hmm. that first customer and it was a putter or somebody, you know, how did it work and all that. It just kind of, we just felt that was the best way to do it. And the, and the staff does a great job too. It's not just me, it's, you know, Shane and Mike and Cody, Mark, all the guys at the office, Jay, you know, is uh, running all the the social media stuff is reaching out to people all the time, just sort of in our DNA. You know, Dan still does a bunch of fittings at the shop too. So it's, it's kind of like we all want to make sure that that customer gets taken care of. And we also thought too, you know, that could be our niche a little bit, right? Like right. to just offer really great service. It doesn't cost anything. We didn't have to spend any marketing money to do it. It was just if somebody calls you, answer the phone or you call them back. And, you know, we're pretty good at being able to ask questions to the customers and work with them. We're not even like selling. It's more or less just, I always look at like, I'm kind of like a Sherpa trying to get into the top of the mountain. Like I have so much feedback from what's working. I'm pretty good. And Dan's pretty good. And the staff's pretty good at, well, Hey, let's think about this way. And okay, what's going on and basically problem solving. And it's Mm -hmm. fun. Like it's fun to problem solve, get people to play better. And hopefully they contact you back and go, yes, really work. Like it's very satisfying. I, I truly enjoy it. 
So when you are working direct with a customer like that, there can obviously be some challenges, though. What is a challenge you find with the direct-to-consumer model and with Sub70 in in general? What are some of the challenges that company faces? Well, so if, if somebody has no idea of what they need, right, that can be challenging because they can't go to a local store and get your stuff. So mm-hmm. then you might have somebody do a local fitting, right? Just just go get fit for a similar style club. We'll interpret that and then build a sub-70 club for you. So it's not every now and then you just have to hit the pause button and say, you know, I can't clearly see this from the questions I'm asking or, you know, the, the customer just doesn't have the, 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 the full view of what needs to be mm-hmm. done and mm-hmm. I don't see the view. So you just hit the pause button and you say, you know what, go, go get fit send that over to me and let me look at it. So that can be the challenging part that you just can't go to a local store and do it. But usually there's always a workaround. We can send demo clubs out. We can ask questions of why they're, because you're usually calling us for a reason. They're, they're trying to improve over their current stuff they have. Right, right, right. A lot of the times the answer is very, it's really in front of you. If it's if it's challenging, we'll just hit the pause button and say, go get fit. Well, I mean, just like doctor's notes, I can read another fitter's notes of what they're saying this client needs. Then you might go back and look at their current club and you say, oh, okay, there it is. Right. The shafts are too stiff, too heavy. They're not swinging as fast as the, mm-hmm. as an example. And then it makes more sense. Now I've got a pathway to say, okay, let's try this. And then also right. to, you know, with the 60 day money back guarantee scenario and like, and there's no hoop to jump through. If any customer ever gets anything from us and they're not 100% happy, you know, we want them to call us because we can mm-hmm. fix it. We can always pick the clubs up, make a shaft change. It's not a big deal. Right. We want to make sure that the customers are, you know, supported and if they get anything from us, that the clubs are as perfect as we can make it. It would, you know, drive me nuts if it wasn't right. Right, right, right. I can, I, and, and, you know, kind of the combatant gentleman that you were talking about, how you still have to take that suit to the tailor. You know, they don't do, they don't tailor it for you or anything like that, but you guys can give you that top quality feel, but sometimes you may need a little help when it comes to getting it tailored. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. Well, some guys just know their stuff too right you might get some clients that i need a half inch over my line angle needs to be a half degree up right i need a right there's other people who know exactly yeah. what they do so you see it all in between but if we get to the point where it's not in the you know we will never sell something to somebody if we're not a you know is this is confident as we can be that we're going the right way we'll hit the pause button and say exactly that you know hey go go see someone local and you know, or go hit some clubs close to this and let me know what you're seeing. Right. And then we right. kind of, you know, hit the pause button and make sure we're doing, you know, the customer the best service we possibly can. That's awesome. So let's, uh, I'm going to kind of talk about the actual product now. So um, what would you say is the most popular product on your on your website or that you've the sold? The entire 699 series between the utility club, the pro, and the standard model. That hollow body player's distance technology mm-hmm. has by far been the most popular. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's that's interesting. I see a lot of your fairway woods out on the uh, on on uh, social media. I, I, I see y'all's uh, stuff is really really uh, popular in terms of the fairway woods. So that's that's kind of cool that it's the uh, six ninety nine series. So what is what club was your most difficult to make? Your driver, like you said earlier. Driver. driver was the driver difficult. From, yeah. yeah, Gen One is now sold out. We're working on Gen Two. Okay. That was tough because then, like talking about sound, right? Like that yep. was a tough one. So the sound was high pitched, but the numbers were good. Yeah. So then, do you 
compromise performance for sound. We didn't. Right. You know, it's never a perfect. And then you're you're trying to not. I mean, on that series, we were trying to not put weight where it wasn't efficient for the sound, mm-hmm. right? So that's always the toughest to maximize out because, there's, you know, if you have a forged one-piece iron, it always sounds good. That part right, is not right, it. It's right. like with a driver, there's, there's, is it workable enough? Does it go straight mm-hmm. enough? You know, there's, there's all of these different elements that go into a driver. And then, by the way, you know, can you squeeze out that last 1% to just make it a little mm-hmm. bit better? It's always, until further notice, I think it's always going to be the most challenging to do. And that's why when the new driver, we're going to have a pro series and a standard series. We, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You almost have to split it, you know, yeah. to get yeah. the pro series would be smaller, more taller, more workable shape, more pear shaped for the better player, lower spin, more fade bias, right? Then the, the standard version will be higher MOI little longer face to heel, a little longer front to back, wants to go straighter, less workable. We almost, after the, doing the Gen 1, we're like, okay, we have to do two different drivers now, so we're not trying to compromise. Yeah. What do we do for this versus that? So, right. you know, you kind right. of learn from the first one, and then not that the first one was bad, but the first one was definitely more of a player's driver, you know, mm-hmm. more workable, a little taller face, kind of we designed it for what we kind of wanted to play on the first go-around with it, but <laughs> you know, right. the feedback we got, we're, you know, there's one example where you learn from that feedback and we're going to do two versions. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So tell me what does Jason's golf bag look like? What, what is your, your club makeup with sub 70 stuff? So 639 hybrids. And, um, I'm kind of, uh, on the oddball of this. So I have forged irons and hybrids for my clubs and, the, the, and I go all the way up to a six or sometimes a seven hybrid. And the reason is at our mm-hmm. home club, there's a lot of <laughs> the par threes are like 175 yards and the greens are small. So I can hit a, like a seven hybrid higher and softer, like a little fade. And I'm just better with it. So I've got <laughs> our 639 forged irons, uh, down to a seven or even an eight. And then I'll use, uh, our hybrids. And then for the seven hybrid, I'd grab a diamond tour one. Our, our old Turner head still works great for that seven <laughs> hybrid. And then uh, Pro Fairway Woods, and then the uh, then the uh, I'm still playing the older uh, Gen One Gen One driver, uh, 39D driver. Yeah, and then um, the sub 70 uh, forged uh, raw wedges. Nice. So yeah, nice. I use, I'm I'm you know I'm not a power player. My game is mm-hmm. making pars and hitting it pretty straight. And yeah, with small greens, I can hit. In narrow fairways, you know, the hybrids for me are just easier to get up in the air, especially if you get in the rough and hit it softer in yeah. small green. So it's kind of based on the golf course I play a lot at home at, at Kishwaukee Country Club of old school small greens, higher launch angle, a little softer descent, you know, pretty narrow fairways. You can get in the rough a little bit. So for me, taking my ego out of it, the, you're going to see a lot of hybrids in my bag. <laughs> and, there you uh, go. You know, I get some strange looks, but there are, you know, they're functional. It does work, right? And golf's hard enough, so I'm right. really trying to make it as easy as I can of myself. All right, final kind of series real quick. I love y'all's logo. I've loved it since the first time I saw it. What's the story behind the Sub-70 logo? So the that logo was started by a European clothing company uh, that came out in the late, like 2008, 2009. They were over in the States for a little bit, but they never did hard goods. So I always loved the logo. So we reached out to those guys when we were trying to come up with names of companies and said, okay, 
you know, with the, is there a chance we could do royalty with you guys, you know, to use the name for a hard good? So it was always in the back of my mind that I thought huh. that logo would look great on a club. And since they weren't in the hard good business, we worked out a deal to be able to use the logo for uh, the hard good side of stuff. So, yeah, it worked out good. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a great name, too, I think. I right? like to flow. Substance yeah, yeah. I, with that logo. So, yeah, it was one of those deals where, you know, they were they were on the European side doing clothing. So they were like, sure, you know, come up with a fair royalty rate that they could live with and we could <laughs> live with and have at it. So and here we are. Just being in my, yeah, being in my mind that I always loved the look of it. And I was like, I think this could be a great name and logo for the clubs. And, you know, here we are. I think it's I think it's an awesome logo. Really distinguishable and it almost says the name in just the logo you know you don't have without typing it out right like TaylorMade's logo you see the you see the t and all that but you know that you're below 70 sub 70 i think it's i think it's an awesome name first time i heard it i was like well that's genius so <laughs> well, well so, we'll give the guys over in the uk the, the credit for coming up <laughs> with it and you know if uh i just thought like you said the same thing it had a great role to and in the logo kind of fits what our company is to have kind of a little more understated and you mm-hmm. know, it, it just kind of all fit in that ecosphere. So it worked out good. I think for everybody in that one. Well, definitely uh, follow you guys. I'll, I encourage everybody to follow you guys on social media. Do you want to do a plug for your website and your, uh, your Twitter social media accounts? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's at, uh, at sub 70 for the social media stuff. Just, and then, um, it's seven zero, not spelled out to seven zero. And the website is, uh, golf sub 70.com or sub 70.com. We'll go right to the website. All of our contact information is there. My cell phone's on there if anyone needs anything. So yeah, we're always glad to answer any technical questions anybody would, would have and help anyone. So yeah, feel free to reach out to us. And you know, we, uh, like I said, we love talking to our customers and having that interaction. So. It's all good if anyone ever needs anything. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me, and have a great day. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it anytime. Let me know if you uh, if you ever want to do it again. I'm I'm uh, I love doing this stuff, so it was a blast. I enjoyed it. Sounds great, Jason. Thanks. All right. Well, that was Jason Highland with Sub Seventy Golf. I want to thank you guys for tuning in, and I want to thank. Jason, very much for his time. He didn't have to do that. It was a uh, very nice thing of him to do. So uh, go give them a follow on Twitter. They uh, He went over all of their handles, things like that. So if you have any questions about golf clubs or anything of that nature, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my social media. Like and subscribe to my podcast and get more awesome interviews like this. Next week, we are hopefully having on a Another guest, you will see who that is next week. Look forward to it, guys. Hit them straight. Bye-bye.